Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. This is 1 Samuel chapter 28. This is the word of the Lord, it is eternally true. Now it came about in those days that the Philistines gathered their armed camps for war to fight against Israel. And Achish said to David, Know assuredly that you will go out with me in the camp, you and your men. David said to Achish, Very well, you shall know what your servant can do. So Achish said to David, Very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. Now Samuel was dead, and all Israel had lamented him and buried him in Ramah, his own city, and Saul had removed from the land those who were mediums and spiritists. So the Philistines gathered together and came and camped in Shunem, and Saul gathered all Israel together and they camped in Gilboa. When Saul saw the camp of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. When Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. And Saul said to his servant, Seek for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servant said to him, Behold, there is a woman who is a medium at Endor. Then Saul disguised himself by putting on other clothes and went, he and two men with him, and they came to the woman by night. And he said, Conjure up for me, please, and bring up for me whom I shall name to you. But the woman said to him, Behold, you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off those who are mediums and spiritists from the land. Why are you then laying a snare for my life to bring about my death? Saul vowed to her by the Lord, saying, As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, Who shall I bring up for you? And he said, Bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman spoke to Saul, saying, Why have you deceived me? For you are Saul. The king said to her, Do not be afraid, but what do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a divine being coming up out of the earth. He said to her, what is his form? And she said, an old man is coming up and he is wrapped with a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel and he bowed with his face to the ground and did homage. Then Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And Saul answered, I am greatly distressed for the Philistines are waging war against me and God has departed from me and no longer answers me either through prophets or by dreams. Therefore, I have called you that you may make known to me what I should do. And Samuel said, why then do you ask me since the Lord has departed from you and has become your adversary? The Lord has done accordingly as he spoke through me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, to David, as you did not obey the Lord and did not execute his fierce wrath on Amalek. So the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will also give over Israel along with you into the hands of the Philistines. Therefore, tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. Indeed, the Lord will give over the army of Israel into the hands of the Philistines. And Saul immediately fell full length upon the ground and was very afraid because of the words of Samuel. Also, there was no strength in him, for he had eaten no food all day and all night. The woman came to Saul and saw that he was terrified and said to him, Behold, your maidservant has obeyed you, and I have taken my life in my hand and have listened to your words, which you have spoke, which you spoke to me. So now also, please listen to the voice of your maidservant. 
And let me set a piece of bread before you that you may eat and have strength when you go on your way. But he refused and said, I will not eat. However, his servants, together with the woman, urged him, and he listened to them. So he arose from the ground and sat on the bed. The woman had a fattened calf in the house, and she quickly slaughtered it. And she took flour, kneaded it, and baked unleavened bread from it. She brought it before Saul and his servants, and they ate. And they arose and went away that night. This is the word of the Lord. Be seated. This is quite a memorable passage. We, uh, when we read through First First Samuel, this is one of those passages that stays with us uh, because of all the uh, strange happenings in the verse, and um, <clears throat> and so uh, it's good to uh, to give our minds to it a little bit rather than just to be perplexed by it. Chapter twenty-seven. Uh, remember that David has fled to the Philistines. He's he's hanging out with Achish. He's uh, he is um, he is among the Philistines, and he's making raids on the Philistines. But uh, he's it's undercover, and uh, he is he's not doing as Achish thinks he's doing, which is attacking Israel. Uh, if we skip forward, so that's 27, David's among the Philistines, and then we get 28, and it, it turns to Saul. And then if we go to 29, uh, it, it continues the conflict with the Philistines between uh, the Philistines and Israel. And then chapter, um, so this, this chapter 28 sort of uh, interrupts that story of the Philistines and Israel, and we get this picture of Saul in the middle of it. Um, David, we learn at the beginning of this passage, is, is fighting, fighting with Achish. Uh, notice David's ambiguous response. When, when Achish says, you're going you're gonna to fight with me, David says, well, you're going to see what your servant can do. And it's not, it's not like he's making an oath of loyalty to Achish. That it's, it's not as if he's deciding to attack Israel. He has been faithful to Israel this whole time. He's been faithful to God. He's actually been faithful to Saul. David has been faithful to Saul this whole time and, um, and has protected Israel. And uh, David's response to Achish is, well, you're going to see what your servant can do. And, uh, and that's, that's, uh, I think those are intentionally um, ambiguous. He is not professing his loyalty to Achish. To do so would be to take on other gods, would be to forsake Yahweh. Samuel is dead. Notice our passage mentions that Samuel is dead. Verse 3, now Samuel was dead and all Israel had lamented him and buried him. Uh, there, in other words, that is, that is the way of saying that there are no prophets for Saul. There's no prophets for Saul to, to uh, consult with at this point. Samuel was the prophet to Saul and he has no one to turn to. Notice also that the passage mentions that Saul had done something very good. What had he done? Or attempted to do? The spiritists. Yeah, he had removed all the, the um, palm readers, right? He had removed all of those who would consult demons, who would uh, do this, um, this wicked work, um, consulting with demons, uh, trying to speak to the dead, doing just pagan, pagan sort, of, sort of things. Saul had removed those people from the land. 
And, uh, and yet, uh, there's one that his servants know very well. So the task hadn't been completely successful. What, um, what moves Saul to go consult with this medium? It's the Philistines. They're gathering together, and he's scared. The Philistines are encamping against Israel, and they're scared. So what does he do? What does he do when he's afraid? He inquires of the Lord and gets what? He gets no answer from God. Okay, and then what does he do? Or what does he mention? He says he's not receiving any messages either by dreams, by Urim, or by prophets. By dreams, is that a legitimate way to receive um, prophecy from the Lord? Of course. Joseph received prophecy that way. Joseph received information from the Lord. Um, Numbers, Numbers chapter 12 says, let me turn there, Numbers 12, 6. Uh, then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the doorway of the tent, and he called Aaron, Aaron and Miriam when they had both come forward. He said, Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, shall make myself known to him in a vision. I shall speak with him in a dream. Right? So this, this was a, a way that God spoke um, through his prophets. And there's nothing for Saul. He's not, he's not having prophetic dreams. God has taken that away from him. What about the Urim? What's the Urim? Anybody remember what the Urim is? Sort of, yeah, yeah. It's a way to. Do, it was a, a way that um, the priests determined the will of the Lord, right? It was uh, the Urim and the Thummim were were um, carried in the breastplate of the priest or the high priest, right? And that they were they were used to um, to determine the will of the Lord. But remember, what had Saul done to the priests? He had killed a whole city of priests, right? And so, so that, that access to the Urim is, 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 um, is cut off. He had killed priests. He had, um, where's the ephod at this point also? The ephod of the high priest is with David. David has, has that and Saul does not, um, and then the prophets. He's consulted prophets and there has been no message from the Lord. So God has, has gone silent when it comes to Saul. God is no longer communicating with Saul. God is giving Saul nothing. Even when he's fearful, he is receiving no answer from God. Uh, verse 7, Saul says to his servants, after, after he's inquired of the Lord, He's inquired of, of the Urim. He's inquired by prophets. He's inquired by the priests. Then Saul says to his servant, Seek for me a woman who is a medium. You know, he's desperate. A woman who is a medium. And unfortunately, his servants know exactly where to go. Well, we know one medium in Endor, and um, we'll take you there. And so they go with him there, and they inquire of him. Saul, Saul removes his kingly garments, notice. Garments are, are important in this book. And he's removed his kingly garments and he's hidden himself and, uh, and, and covered himself by other, 
other uh, um, garments. The woman objects to Saul's request because of Saul's own edict, right? I mean, think of being Saul in that circumstance, and you go to visit this wicked woman who's consulting the dead, or at least faking the consulting of the dead, and she and she <laughs> reminds Saul of the very edict, um, and and then even more shamefully is that Saul. Saul offers her immunity for this work, right? Verse 10, Saul vowed to her by the Lord, saying, as the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. And he's taking the Lord's name in vain in that promise. For him to say, as the Lord lives, as Yahweh lives, you're not going to receive any punishment for doing what God has commanded you not to do. Right? It's wicked. He's, he's uh, offering immunity where he has no right to offer immunity. Right? She's breaking God's command. And so he's taking the Lord's name in vain, going against even his own edict. Um, the law of God is very clear on these things. Deuteronomy 18 is the passage that speaks of spiritism. It's um, at verse 9 of chapter 18. Listen to this. When you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you, you shall not learn to imitate the detestable things of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire, one who uses divination, one who practices witchcraft, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, one who casts a spell, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. For whoever does these things is detestable to the Lord. And because of these detestable things, the Lord your God will drive them out before you. Right? So the people of the land are being driven out because they practice these detestable things. And God has promised to do that. They're detestable to God. Detestable. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God for those nations which you shall dispossess. Listen to those who practice witchcraft and to diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do so. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your countrymen. You shall listen to him. Right? So there's this contrast between listening to the prophet of the Lord and listening to diviners and, and those who practice witchcraft. So who does Saul ask for? If Saul, uh, Saul has consulted the Lord, he's consulted everyone living, and so now he wants Samuel back. He wants Samuel back. Samuel was the last prophet who gave him um, the, the words of the Lord. And so Samuel is summoned. And the question is, is this really Samuel? Is this really Samuel? What do you think? No? Okay. <laughs> I have a No. <laughs> It does. It's 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 much like the um, the the passage with um, in the New Testament with uh, Abraham and and uh, I'm forgetting the name. Um, you know, dip your finger in the water and place it on my tongue. Yeah, Lazarus, the rich man, Lazarus. Um, why is this a difficult question, though? Why is this a difficult question? One, well, she's, 
this, this witch has no power, right? To cons- she has no power over the dead. She has maybe power over demons, but she has no power over the dead. God is the God uh, has has power over death. But no medium, no spiritist has power to raise the dead or to consult with the dead. They have power to perhaps, um, they, they may perhaps open themselves up to the influence of demons. But can the dead be consulted? Is, um, uh, what's going on? So, um, the passage makes it seem as if, if um, Samuel is, is coming up from the place of the dead, from Sheol, from that, the, the thought to be the... the um, the underground, the, the grave. And, um, and yet, everybody I read, all the, all the commentaries, all of our um, Reformed fathers in the faith say, no way was this Samuel. Not a chance. There's not a chance this was Samuel 1 because she has no power over the dead, and yet it is the means by which God spoke to Saul. And so it is still God at work. But... But it's him using these means, and it's not, it's not actually Samuel. Um, other, you know, very few of the commentaries I read were willing to say um, that, it was, that it was Samuel. L- Luther and Calvin basically say that this is some sort of diabolical speaker and not Samuel. Um, another, another commentary said, how, how then does one explain this piece of necromancy? I suppose by the power and permission of God. He says, we explain it simply by the power and permission of God. For his own reasons, God must have permitted Samuel to come up in order to speak his word of truth and doom to Saul. Yahweh's word was spoken even if it came via an illegitimate method. Right? And so um, he sort of he swerves toward the side that, yeah, maybe this was Samuel and God allowed this medium to do this work, but it was by God's permission. It wasn't by any power in her, right? So um, regardless of this question, God is, God is using this means in order to rebuke Saul one final time. Um, if, it's a, if it's a wicked, demonic sort of presence, God is going to use that in order to... to um, warn his servant if it's Samuel somehow um, I I don't think it's Samuel I don't think um, I, I think uh, I think this is is uh, is as if is almost like a dream that comes to Saul right he's using this medium and spiritist in order to bring up this image of of Samuel in order and and God's still in it God's still using it but um, where do people go when they die? They go into the presence of the Lord there forever to, to remain with the Lord. And we know that Samuel was a faithful believer. And so his body went into the ground, his soul went into the presence of the Lord there to await the resurrection. And so um, that is what Scripture teaches us about the dead. Uh, Obviously, this means this doesn't mean that we should consult the dead. <laughs> no, um, that's forbidden in the passage that I just read, Deuteronomy 18. Right? Um, we should not. Uh, it's this is detestable in the sight of God. So, um, 
One commentary I read said, said this about Saul. When living prophets gave no answer, he thought that a dead one might be called up as if a dead one more, uh, was more dependent upon, the living, uh, upon God than the living or that even in opposition to the will of God, he might reply through the acts of a conjuring woman. Truly, if he perceived that God was hostile to him, if Saul perceived that God was hostile to him, he ought to have been all the more afraid lest his enmity should be increased by his breach of his laws. But fear and superstition never reason. He's fearful, he's superstitious, he's not reasoning right. He's the one who kicked these mediums and spiritists out of land based upon Deuteronomy 18, and yet when fear hits him, he consults with a witch. Right When he's fearful. And now isn't, isn't, that, um, isn't that interesting? Um, when do your temptations come upon you? When you're fearful. When there seems to be something out of your control and you want quick answers. And that's exactly what we see in Saul. Wicked Saul here. Um, <clears throat> when, when we leave off God's means for when we leave off God's means for our holiness, right? we begin to consult with those things that won't lead to holiness. An example of this that, that I've recently been, um, that's been brought to my light is a, is a man named Jordan Peterson. Have any of you heard of Jordan Peterson? <sighs> Jordan Peterson has, he's been... Um, He's been called the 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 uh, this generation's or the millennials' YouTube father, and he uses a lot of Christian language. He's an academic. He's a, a clinical psychologist that is at the University of Toronto, and he's been in the news lately because he's he's been speaking some truth, and basically telling people that political correct political correctness is bunk, and um, and men need to be men, and women need to be women, and. He said some some good things, um, but but the reason but if you go listen to him, his he, he's he's not a Christian. It's very clear he's not a Christian, and his foundation is psychology. His foundation is is philosophy, psychology, and and bad philosophy. It's like um, nihilism. It's it's. Uh, it's fatalism. It's it's um, it's terrible stuff. It's existentialism, and he's giving the reason he can be heard is because pastors have failed to preach, right? He, pastors have left the gap, right? And they haven't said anything about masculinity and femininity for fear of offending a politically correct culture. And so this clinical psychologist can come in and fill that gap and can say true things and. And Christians are like, oh, this is great. You know, we've been waiting to hear this. And, and he, he has no foundation in Scripture. He's preaching a, a, an alternate worldview, entirely alternate worldview. He's, he's, um, but, but what he says, you know, is what um, should be preached from pulpits. Um, assertiveness, taking responsibility, right? Just basic sort of Christian doctrines, but... The, the pulpits have left off this basic Christian sort of uh, discipleship. And in walks a, 
a clinical psychologist existentialist to fill the gap. It's terrible, right? It's, it is Saul, it, it is this generation consulting the, the witch of Endor, right? That's Jordan Peterson. Um, you'll listen to it and, um, and you'll think, man, that's on point. But then you'll listen to the foundation that he lays for it and it's just bankrupt. It's bankrupt. So open your eyes. You'll hear of Jordan Peterson. He's everywhere. He's on Fox News. He's, he's publishing books, 12 Steps to a something or something, something. What is it called? 12 Steps to a something, something. Um, but uh, his foundation is not Jesus Christ. It's Freud and it's Jung and it's Nietzsche and it's, it's men like that. And it's so sad that that plays in the church. It is Christian, young men, Christian, who love Jordan Peterson, right? And, and they're, being fed, they're being fed Freud. It's twisted, okay? And that's because of the gap that's left. And when you do not pursue God as he has called uh, himself to be pursued, then you begin consulting um, mediums. And he's just a modern-day medium. He's the medium of Toronto, let's call him. Um, a Canadian existentialist clinical psychologist. Okay, let's add that. Um, what's that? A? Yeah, thanks. Now, it's interesting what Samuel says here, and or this apparition, or this image, um, something. It's, it's interesting the, the message that um, Saul receives. Samuel points out the absurdity of Saul's action. Um, verse 16, Samuel said, Why then do you ask me? If God has stopped talking to you, why in the world do you think that, he's gonna, that, that a prophet of the Lord is going to speak to you? Um, the Lord has departed from you, has become your adversary. And, and then Samuel reminds him, this is, this is exactly what I told you. This is exactly what was told you by the prophet Samuel. The Lord has done accordingly as he spoke through me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, to David, as you did not obey the Lord and did not execute his fierce wrath on Amalek. There's Amalek again. We've got to amplify that sin of disobedience because of the number of times that it's mentioned that that was the sin that led Saul to uh, be forsaken by the Lord and for the Lord to uh, raise up David. He did not obey the Lord. Moreover, the Lord will also get, and then some prophecy. Moreover, the Lord will also give over Israel along with you into the hands of the Philistines. Therefore, tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. You're going to be dead. You're going to be in Sheol. You and your sons tomorrow will be with me. And Saul responds to this as, as, um, as you might expect. He's terrified. Saul immediately fell full length upon the ground and was very afraid because of the words of Samuel. Also, there was no strength in him, for he had eaten no food all day and all night. Whether that was an act of devotion, like fasting, um, or it was just because of his fear and he couldn't eat. Uh, we don't know, but here he is and he's terrified. He, and now the end of this, I think, is to point out more of Saul's absurdity, the end of this passage. He wouldn't listen to the Lord. He, ref he, he had no message from anybody. 
um, that would have given him the word of the Lord. But now he allows this this spiritus, this uh, medium, to prevail upon him to eat. And he just easily listens to her. He says he's not going to eat, but then they he and his she and his servants prevail upon him, and they eat. And what do they eat? And how is it prepared? How is it prepared? No, quickly. And unleavened bread. It's like a it's like a fake Passover, right? Quickly, quickly cooked fattened calf, which is a little different, and unleavened bread. And it's like a demonic um, Passover. Um, they're eating quick so that they can they can leave her and go back to um, back upon their way. So, what applications can we pull out of this other than the ones I've already made? Saul is persistent in his sin, right? He's persistent in his sin, and eventually, when anybody persists in his sin, he's given over to it. And Saul is clearly given over to his sin. God has cut off all of his messengers, and he has decided, even though he knows better, this is a sin against knowledge, right? He cast Spiritus out of the land. He knew Deuteronomy 18, and he, go, he sins now against his knowledge. And he is given over to it. He's gone from bad to worse. So that's the first thing. Saul's persistent sin leads to God's giving men over to sin. Second, reject the word of the Lord and stumbling without light comes. If you reject the word of the Lord, then you're in darkness. You're going to stumble without that light. To be forsaken by God um, there's nothing worse to be forsaken by God, to be cut off from his knowledge. Uh, that, that, is to, that is to be painfully swimming in a sea of meaninglessness, right? To be cut off from the Lord. Covenant children, children, you who have grown up in the church, you have grown up with the word of God. Um, who have had parents who have have poured into you and and studied and um, you've heard about God your whole life. It's hard for you to imagine what it means to be cut off from the Lord. It's impossible for you to imagine it, but it is awful. Life without God is bleak. Whatever the lies of the world tell you, life without God is very bleak. Remember Saul in this regard. Life without God is bleak. He goes from bad to worse. Um, perhaps down the road, undoubtedly down the road, children, you will discern the bleakness of life without God when, when, you, um, when you are in the world, right? When you uh, perhaps are at college or you're at a workplace or you're just going about speaking to people. You're going to find out that life without God is very bleak. Um, perhaps you don't believe that right now. Perhaps there are things that intrigue you about the world. But let me tell you that you will become like Saul and you will be terrified and miserable all the time. That's what life without God is. Third, contrast Saul and David. Contrast Saul and David for the moment. Saul 
is in Israel and he's forsaken. David is surrounded by enemies, but knows the Lord. Right? So which is worse? To be in Israel and not have the Lord or to be in, uh, surrounded by enemies and to have God on your side? Right? That, that certainly is better. Um, to have a life of all pain but with, with God is a satisfying life. Right? To be surrounded by enemies but to have God on your side is, is a satisfying life. Um, <clears throat> nothing, one of the commentators said, nothing is so utterly miserable than finding in the hour of greatest need that you had long ago placed yourself beyond the sound of God's voice and that you are totally alone. Totally alone. It's a little bit of existentialism for you, right? But with God, you are not alone. Uh, the last words, think of it, the last words that Saul receives from, from God are, you and your sons will die tomorrow. You and your sons will die tomorrow. Uh, that's bleak. That's bleak. But this is the life that God, that, that Saul had chosen for himself. And it started with that one disobedience. Remember that disobedience of not destroying Amalek? All he did was take some animals for the sacrifice. Right? All he did was not completely fulfill what God had said. And yet from there outward, his heart is hardened toward the Lord. Probably resenting that he was rebuked for that one sin. Probably resenting that, that Samuel had came to him and, and um, rebuked him. And so... Those are some of my thoughts. Other thoughts on this passage? Anybody have any comments that you'd like to make? Any um, any applications that you draw from this passage? Anything? Questions? Wages of sin is death. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. His sin has progressed, right? It sins against, it's, it's, he's not ignorant. He's willfully sinning against God. Sure, of course. Sure. I mean, yeah, if we want to take that as a as you're coming to the place I am or just a way to say you're going to die. That's how I take it. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird. That's right. It's the table of demons. I mean, it's it's like a it's like a fa- false Passover. It's the table of demons, and and there is Saul and his servants enjoying it. Yep. Anything else?
Yes. Sure. Yeah, I mean, it's as if he's he's um, he's worshiping Samuel rather than worshiping Samuel's God, right? And that clearly seems to be what he's doing. Yes. Yeah. Hey, I meant to make that point. She cries out when she sees Samuel, and that's why I say she probably faked... She probably faked it her whole life, and then this one time, God and His sovereignty allows it to work, and she's like, dude, this is not my normal means of, of working here. I usually make stuff up. <laughs> sure. Yeah, right, right. She receives that knowledge, right? Exactly. Anything else? Yes. Right. Yes. And and we see the full tragedy of it when we see how Saul dies, right? That's that I mean it's just it's in a sense a fitting end, but it's so sad that he takes his own life. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Okay, well, praise God. Let's, um, let's learn from this passage. Let's remember this. Let's remember that uh, we serve a king that uh, did not fail, right? We serve a king that obeyed the Lord, that didn't fail at Amalek, that obeyed, and his, his obedience was, um, was for us. And so uh, this is, Saul is, an, Saul is an antichrist, but there's a real Christ, right? Who, who obeyed God, and, um, and we follow him. So let's pray. Father, we pray that, that we would remember, remember the good work of your son, the obedience that, uh, that he joyfully uh, did, and uh, did for the joy set before him. Father, he endured much. And so, Father, I pray that we would remember his example even as we study Saul's uh, poor example, the detestable things that he did, the way that he went after, after his sin, and the misery it led to.
Oh, Father, I pray that you would bless our children with the knowledge of their sins and that they might cry out to you and find rest for their souls in Jesus Christ, that they would follow not King Saul, but that they would follow King Jesus and that they would uh, love, love him with their whole heart, soul, strength, and mind. Lord, give us that uh, strength, we pray, all of us, in Jesus' name, amen.